You're listening to the On The Go with VAO News podcast for the week ending March 25th, 2016. Hello and welcome back to our podcast. This is our weekly recap of the top headlines from this week's daily acquisition news. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Bill Olver, VAO content developer and senior news writer. And I'm Dara Curran, content developer and fellow news writer. The Office of Management and Budget is now requiring agencies to report quarterly on their progress accelerating payments to small business subcontractors. In a March 18th memorandum, OMB Director Sean Donovan explained that increasing the reporting frequency from every six months to every three months will allow the agency to better track progress in supporting small businesses and driving job creation. In their reports, agencies will provide OMB with an update on progress making accelerated payments to all prime contractors, the progress their 25 largest primes have made in incorporating prompt payment clauses into their subcontracts with small businesses, and any other positive steps the agency has made to ensure small business subcontractors are paid in a prompt manner. The Office of Personnel Management made some staffing appointments this week. First, two federal security clearance experts have been asked to lead the move over to the newly established National Background Investigations Bureau. James Onsuko will serve as the transition team leader. He was most recently Executive Director of Personnel Security and Identity Management at the Department of Veterans Affairs. Filling the deputy manager role is Christy Wilder, who has previously worked for the Defense Security Service and Federal Investigative Services. These folks will lead the overhaul of the federal security clearance process and the launch of NBIB. OPM has also tapped Deputy Federal Chief Information Officer Lisa Schlosser to serve as Acting CIO and Senior Advisor to Acting Director Beth Colbert. Schlosser will replace Dave Vargas, who has been serving as Acting CIO since last month and will remain as Associate CIO. Margie Graves, currently Deputy CIO for the Department of Homeland Security, will temporarily take over Schlosser's former position. NIH has announced an open season for its Chief Information Officer Solutions and Partners 3 GWAC, hoping to award contracts to an additional 30 or so small businesses. Currently, there are 94 vendors on the contract, which is set aside entirely for small businesses, and some of those vendors are outgrowing their size status. Those vendors will not be moved off the contract, but awards to those firms no longer will count towards agency small business contracting goals. So NIH wants to add more eligible vendors to the contract to ensure that it remains a go-to source for small business contracting. NIH expects to announce the new awards by next January. And speaking of innovation, as we always seem to do, the Department of Health and Human Services Idea Lab has awarded more than $400,000 in seed funding to five innovative projects pitched by employee teams to improve the way the agency carries out its mission. These projects have made it through the lab's Ignite Accelerator program, which focuses on mentoring teams and developing their ideas, and are now receiving additional funding under the Secretary's Venture Fund which provides more money and resources to implement successful concepts. The lab has awarded funds to projects related to classifying autism in children, recruiting and training a specialized public health workforce to respond to global health threats, food safety monitoring, human resources knowledge management, and onboarding special government employees at NIH. So congratulations to all those teams. Also in innovation, the Air Force is launching a project that will use artificial intelligence to help its acquisition workforce navigate federal procurement regulations. Mm. You 
Yes, you may have heard of <laughs> IBM's Watson, the supercomputer that plays chess and won on Jeopardy. Uh, this system is capable of consuming massive amounts of data and learning over time, based in part on how the data that is entered into the system is queried and utilized. So now the Air Force has contracted with two vendors who will use Watson to develop programs to help industry and federal contracting officials work with the FAR and the DFARS. Uh, for example, the new system could help contracting officers determine if a contract can be awarded on a sole source basis or help match vendors with bidding opportunities. The vendors will enter regulatory and policy documents into the new system and then will query the system to add context and the nuances of federal procurement rules. Now, don't worry about job security. This system is not expected to replace the human workforce, but will provide massive data crunching capabilities and results to the humans making contract decisions. <laughs> a picture of a smoking computer. <laughs> Does not compute. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> the Government Accountability Office has determined the Department of Veterans Affairs has been making a number of improvements to its processes for verifying the eligibility of applicants for veteran-owned small business or service-disabled veteran-owned small business status. For example, VA has reduced application processing times by 50% since October 2012. It's down to an average of 42 days in uh, fiscal year 2015. They've established detailed written instructions to guide staff and contractors through the verification process, refined the quality management system, and eliminated a backlog of scheduled site visits, some of which were to firms that were deemed high risk, expanded communications with applicants and firms up for recertification, and launched a verification counseling program, which provides applicants with additional support. However, VA hasn't yet developed a comprehensive strategic plan for its long-range goals and other related efforts that are underway, so GAO recommended that VA complete its fiscal year 2016 operating plan, which should include a schedule for key implementation goals and their corresponding actions and milestones, and establish a process to regularly review and update the program's operating plan to incorporate new initiatives, changing conditions, and long-term goals. And finally, in regulatory news, uh, and this part will probably be longer than the rest of our podcast this week, so settle <laughs> in, the Department of Defense has published five final rules and four proposed rules um, amending the DFARS. And these are not particularly exciting rules. Uh, I would call most of them uh, housekeeping in nature, So, but we'll give them a quick rundown, starting with the five final rules, all of which are effective today, March 25th. Uh, the first rule clarifies how DFARS Clause 252.225-7001 applies when there is an exception to the Buy American Act or Balance of Payments program. Short version, though this clause is required in all contracts and solicitations, um, if there is an exception to either the Buy American Act or the Balance of Payments program, it is not required rather logical. The second rule clarifies clauses and prescriptions for small business programs and creates a basic and alternate clause structure to facilitate the use of automated contract writing systems. The third final rule extends and modifies contract authority for advanced component development and prototype units. The rule would apply to major system acquisitions and would allow for the inclusion of a contract line item, possibly an option, to go into initial production without further competition. Another final rule deletes obsolete text about the use of fire-resistant rayon fiber. The DFARS prohibits requiring the use of fire-resistant rayon fiber in any solicitation issued before January 1, 2015. Since this date has passed, the text is now obsolete and therefore is being removed. 
The last final rule amends the DFARS to require the use of the electronic warranty attachments in the product efficiency reporting and evaluation program for solicitations and contracts when the warranty of serialized items is anticipated or required. And we had four proposed rules. The first would amend the DFARS to state that the cost of counterfeit or suspected counterfeit electronic parts and the cost of any required corrective action may be allowable if the parts were obtained by the contractor in accordance with existing regulations, if the contractor discovers the counterfeit or suspected counterfeit electronic parts, and if the contractor provides timely notice to the government. The second proposed rule adds instructions for utilizing the Wide Area Workflow Reparable Receiving Report, WAWFRRR. <laughs> that report was created to differentiate between deliveries of new government assets and the return of government property that has been repaired or overhauled. It creates an acceptance transaction for use in paying for the repair service and property transfers, moving the asset back to the government, and reporting the movement. Without this new report, the contractor would have to take multiple actions to comply with various defaults clauses. The third proposed rule would prohibit any form of cost plus contracting for military construction projects or military family housing projects as required by the 2016 National Defense Authorization Act. And finally, the fourth proposed rule is related to the treatment of interagency and state and local purchases. Contracts executed by DOD as a result of the transfer of contracts from GSA or for which DOD serves as an item manager for products on behalf of GSA are not to be subject to the National Defense Technology and Industrial Base Defense Investment and Defense Conversion requirements, provided that such contracts are for the purchase of products by other federal agencies or state or local governments. Those requirements relate to the Berry Amendment and rules about specialty metals and weapon systems containing specialty metals. I will presume our defense listeners know what that means. Because <laughs> I'm not exactly clear and I wrote it. <laughs> uh, comments on these proposed rules must be submitted by May 24th, 2016 to be considered in the formation of the final rules. Definitely am picturing the smoking, woeful computer at this point, even just hearing those. <laughs> poor, poor Watson. <laughs> he has no idea what he's in for. <laughs> Well, to end us up today, we have protests, expensive pain in the neck, or force for positive change. A recent discussion by a panel of senior government and industry officials sponsored by the Center for Strategic and International Studies indicated there are actually some good things that come from protests, particularly in the defense acquisition system. Bid protests can help shape practices and behaviors, promoting transparency and accountability, the experts say. For one thing, acquisition officials try to structure the acquisition process to remove ambiguity and make it easier to defend award decisions. And although everyone groans when work has to be delayed or worse, even stopped after it started because an award is being challenged, protests actually comprise less than 4% of the average procurement timeline. In addition, communication with industry can not only help structure a better front-end procurement, but also cut down on the likelihood of post-award protests because everyone's on the same page about the, what the government was looking for, as well as having very clear and specific solicitation particulars. However, the panel did caution that debriefings and industry communications are in general becoming so structured and sanitized, probably, that their value is diminishing. Everyone is getting a little overconscious about not saying anything that will offend the other party or reflect badly on them, be it government or vendor. And the end result is almost like they're sitting around making small talk about the weather and nothing substantive is coming out of it. So 
be frank in your discussions and don't be afraid, I guess, to communicate with your vendors. Yes, we hear that a lot. Yes, we do. So that's it for us for this week. If you're a government agency subscriber to the Virtual Acquisition Office website, you will find links to this week's headlines for further reading on VAO on the same page where you downloaded the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. Join us again next week for our daily news podcast on April 1st. Goodbye.